Good morning. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. This morning's reading is from the book of Mark, chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, from the New Living Translation. Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of the religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Heather, for reading God's word this morning. Morning, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. Oh, beautiful day to worship the Lord and be together. And by the way, it's always a treat to be here, to be part of uh, TCC and to share in the message. Uh, That's just awesome. It's my treat to do that. Uh, Our series from the Gospel of Mark uh, is called Walking with Jesus. And here on uh, Thanksgiving Sunday, we're uh, in the second chapter of Mark, uh, starting at verse 13. And you know, I have a new appreciation for uh, the writer Mark Mark the speedster, I call him. He, he's the one who's not concerned to give you every last detail. So don't ask him for all the details. But he does love to answer the question, who is Jesus? And he works his way systematically through his writing to answer that question. Who really is Jesus? And I'm thankful that we can know Jesus and walk with Jesus and share him. Uh, you know, Mark and I had just graduated uh, from seminary. Uh, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, uh, many years ago. And, you know, God put in front of us a call to a new church in central Canada. To us, it seemed like eastern Canada. And when we got there, they said, this is not eastern Canada, this is central Canada. There's a lot more country further east. But if you've been in the west all your life, central Canada seems pretty far east. Uh, so we packed up all of our belongings and everything fit in a 5 by 10 U-Haul. And uh, we headed back to the Canadian border from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Now, border crossings make all of us feel a little bit apprehensive because we're not sure quite the questions that they're going to ask. And our friends said to us, no problem, just make sure you have a list of all the appliances, anything electrical with model numbers. That, that's all you'll need. So when we got to the border, the agent asked us for a complete list of everything in the U-Haul. Like everything. And without any hesitation, he gave us about three eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper, told us to unpack the U-Haul and write down all the details, including all the number of bath towels and sheets and you name it. And I, I looked at him and our hearts groaned because this is an unbelievable, challenging task. That thing took hours to pack. So after an hour when we had uh, messed up uh, the U-Haul pretty good, We went back into the office, uh, having finally guessed a lot of the stuff we had, but he looked at it, stamped it, 
and gave it to us. He gave me the copy. I said, don't you need this? He said, no, you can have it, just in case you get stopped by the police. (laughs) Would we ever get stopped by the police? I realized at that moment how he had just happened to catch an agent who had power and authority, and he simply exercised it with us because he could. There's a man in chapter 2 of Mark by the name of Levi, and he had been granted unrivaled power to require payment of taxes from the citizens of Palestine. And he had the power to make you pay, whether you, uh, to make you unpack your U-Haul, yeah, uh, any day of the week, he could ask you to do it. it. says, then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Uh, as you know, it was the Romans who occupied uh, the land of Palestine because they had the power, they taxed the Jewish people, and they taxed them very harshly. How could a foreign nation logistically tax a subservient nation? Well, they had what was called tax farming. In other words, they had a tax system that operated through geographical regions. It was called tax farming, like a franchise for something, uh, a business that we might have today. Uh, You could operate in that area as a tax collector. And you were authorized to, in that area, to collect taxes. You got the franchise through bidding. And you had to promise that that you would collect X amount of dollars from your region. And if you collected more wink, wink, then required by Rome, you could just keep it. Pretty sweet deal. That's why the tax tax collectors were pretty well healed. Wink, wink, lots of it. They got rich on the backs of the people in their area. They got rich on the backs of their old friends. And of course, after a while... You thought of them in the most despicable of ways, tax collectors. So Levi had a franchise and a geographical area in which to operate. And Rome didn't want to actually collect the taxes themselves because they wanted to keep their noses as clean as possible. So they allowed these Jewish tax collectors to do the dirty work for them because collecting taxes never wins anyone brownie points no matter where you live. A tax collector could stop any, you on the road anywhere, make you unload your U-Haul or whatever you were carrying, and they could put a charge on the wood that you were carrying because they just made it up on the spot. They could put a charge on the wagon carrying three people instead of two because they just decided that was what they wanted to do. They could make up a rule on the spot. And if the people couldn't pay, that well, then they might have to sell some land. And if they still couldn't pay, the tax collectors hired some uh, guys, some thugs, and they got things cleared up real fast. So it's no wonder that these tax collectors were hated so much. And if the people ever held a contest to choose the most hated man in the land, Levi would win hands down. So sitting at the toll gate in Capernaum where he can bleed all the people who pass through that area because it's a trade uh, corridor. Levi is amassing a fortune 
by selling his soul. He sells the moral fiber of his own heart through intimidation and bribery and cheating. He's capable of anything. And what about his friends? Uh, Even though he has lots of money, his friendship only includes those of his own kind. He has fallen off the social ladder. Actually, neither the Jews nor the Romans want much to do with him. He just does his job, he gets rich, and he's got a few cronies that are his friends. Now, this morning, we're giving thanks for Jesus because he's a likable Jesus. And sometimes his honesty and his openness are terrifically inspirational. That's the case here today. Here's the first thing we're thankful for. Number one, he builds relationships everywhere he goes. He builds relationships everywhere he goes. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Thank God for people uh, who build bridges. Thank God for Jesus who builds bridges to us. Now remember in the first eight chapters of Mark that Jesus is re-educating his listeners. He's re-educating about uh, who the Messiah truly is. What does the Messiah really look like? And last week, if you recall, was an amazing passage because Jesus was re-educating the Jewish people about the ability of Jesus to forgive sins. If you can forgive sins, well, then what does that say about who you are? Now, he's also educating them uh, uh, in this passage about the hundreds and hundreds of years of teaching that they've had at the hands of the Pharisees and the scribes. They taught us a common theme. You shall not. You shall not. You shall not do this. You shall not do that. It was a religion of legalism. It was all about what you can't do. And Jesus comes to tell you, no, you got it all wrong. It's all about yes. It's about loving people, whoever they are. Uh, Whatever side of the tracks they live on, it's about loving people. It's not about no. It's about yes. Yes to a relationship. Yes to love. Yes to being loved and valued and forgiven. Philip Yancey tells a wonderful story in his uh, book, uh, What's So Amazing About Grace? He said uh, years ago, uh, an article appeared in the Boston Globe A woman and her fiancé went to the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston. They picked out the menu and the the china and all the silver and the flower arrangements. And because they had expensive tastes even back in that day, it cost them $13,000. So they cut a check for half of that amount and they went to order their wedding invitations. The day the announcements were supposed to hit the mailbox, the potential groom got cold feet. He decided to pull out. When his angry fiancé returned to the Hyatt to cancel the banquet, the manager was very understanding, even told the story of her own broken engagement. But about the refund, she had bad news. The contract is binding. You have two options. Either you forfeit the rest of the down payment or you go ahead with the banquet. She said, I'm really, so- I'm sorry, I really am. It seemed crazy, but the more the jilted bride thought about it, the more she liked the idea of just going ahead with the party. 
So 10 years before this, the same woman had been living in a homeless shelter. She got back on her feet. She found a good job. She set aside a, a sizable a nest egg. And so it was in the June, uh, June of that year, the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston hosted a party such as it had never seen before. The hostess changed the menu to boneless chicken in honor of the groom. And she sent uh, invitations to rescue missions and homeless shelters. So that warm summer night, people who were used to peeling half-gnawed pizza off the cardboard dined instead on chicken cordon bleu. And hotel waiters in tuxedos serve hors d'oeuvres to senior citizens propped up by crutches and aluminum walkers. Bag ladies, vagrants, addicts took one night off from the hard life on the, sea, on the, on the sidewalks outside, and instead they sipped sip, sip champagne, ate chocolate wedding cake, and danced to big band melodies late into the night. That's the heart of Jesus. That's the heart of Jesus for people from every walk of life. And that's what Jesus would do. And that was the heart of Jesus for Levi. No doubt Jesus had seen Levi many times as he walked past his booth. But on this day, after his teaching at the lakeshore, Jesus was once again walking by the lake, by the booth. And there he saw Levi doing his thing, collecting taxes. And Jesus suddenly said, follow me and be my disciple. And Mark comments that Levi got up and followed him. Now, Luke's gospel, chapter 5, is even more expansive. It says, so Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. He left everything. Wow. Quite a decision to leave all the piles of money behind and follow Jesus. What's going on? What's up? Can you imagine the scandal that Jesus caused when he said yes to Levi? Levi, leave all that behind and come and follow me and I'll give you a new start. You can be sure that that hit the headlines in the Capernaum News. Jesus invites a crook to be part of his team. Billy Graham used to smile at how his critics went after him. From the far left to the, to the far right and everywhere in between, he said he would get shot at because of his position. And he would just smile and say, that, that's the price you pay when you're in that kind of leadership. Well, you have to admire how dangerously Jesus lived. Because this was a scandal in the making. But it didn't deter our Lord for a split second. Jesus kept the wrong company, and that was an affront to all the people in these little towns spread north into the Galilean area. How do you put all of this together? Jesus, this amazing person who loves people and heals them and encourages them, and then on the other hand, uses such bad judgment as to invite a guy like Levi to be part of his team. The truth is that Jesus specializes in rejects. To see uh, Michelangelo's Pita, the sculpture depicting Mary uh, holding her son Jesus after he was taken down from the cross is a very emotional experience. Yet the, the, the legend behind that stone is an inspiration in itself. Michelangelo 
was uh, far too poor in the early days of, of his life and his vocation to buy the marble for his sculpting. So he had to pick his way through the rejected parts of uh, pieces that other sculptors had thrown away. And as he eyed the marble, this particular marble, he said that he could see the figure inside waiting to be released by his chisel. So dragging it home, he freed the figures of Mary and Jesus that he envisioned. And so he produced one of the miracles of artistic creation from a reject. That's what Jesus did in Levi's life. He saw the potential in a reject. And by the time Jesus was finished working in Levi's life, you know who he was. He was Matthew, the gift of God. The man whose pen was guided by the Holy Spirit as he wrote a gospel of love targeted towards his own kindred, the Jewish people. And you know, when you think of it, Levi paid quite a price for following Jesus because he didn't know the future. I mean, the fishermen, Peter and Andrew and James and John, who followed Jesus, could probably go back to fishing if it didn't work out with Jesus. But Levi, (laughs) there was no way back. The Romans would never select him again. He cut his ties. He was done. But Jesus selected him. And Levi was immediately responsive. You see, Jesus has the ability to look at our hearts. And and I'm glad you're here this morning because he's looking into your heart and he sees your longing. He knows what's inside. And he looked at Levi and and he saw that there was something there that wasn't yet fulfilled with his life. That he was running on empty. And that he, he wanted something more for his life. He was discontent. So when Jesus called him, uh, he came alive. And he was ready to leave the old life behind and start fresh. He sees the potential in Levi. Who does Levi become again? As I said, Matthew. The writer of the first gospel. Kind of like Simon became Peter. Uh, Jesus sought out the man that no one else wanted, the one that everybody else wished would fall off the edge of the planet. And this is not just one time that Jesus had this kind of sense for people. What about Mary Magdalene? What about the woman caught in adultery? And even the writer of the gospel, Mark himself, uh, how he needed a second chance, and Barnabas saw that in his life. And as I read this, I thought, Lord, Give us the courage and the vision and the wisdom to see inside the hearts of people that we might be quick to write off. Wait until you see the gold in their hearts. Wait until you see the confidence they're going to gain if you select them and you put them on your team. Jesus is a good judge of character. And even though Levi was a character... He saw inside, and he saw his longings, and he called him, and Levi was ready. But what a risky pick. Candlemaker Jesus. We all come from different backgrounds. Look at us this morning. We all come from such varied backgrounds. Look at the diversity of this congregation. From all many countries of the world, our experiences have been unique and 
Yet the Lord meets all of us somewhere along our travels. And he speaks to us and he loves us and he includes us. And whether our past is checkered like Levi, Jesus sees right past all of that stuff. And he calls us to walk with him. So wherever you are in your journey, in the tax booth or in the penthouse, Jesus reaches out to you and says, I see past all of that. I see past your hurt and your anger and your bitterness. And I see a heart that there's something inside of you that desires to follow me. So come on. Come with me. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Paul writes, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. He sees in us what no one else sees. So the first thing that we're thankful for this morning is the amazing Savior who builds these amazing relationships with such unlikely people. Here's number two. He's always on mission. He is always on mission. And we are so thankful for that, that he is always on mission in this world. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to go to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Now, I'm guessing, but I believe that uh, Levi had heard Jesus speaking on various occasions. He'd wandered down to the lakeside. He'd heard the message that Jesus was proclaiming. And he liked what he, what he heard. Because Levi had not been in the synagogue. He'd not been in church for years. Why? Because he wasn't welcome. He wasn't welcome. He knows when he's not welcome. But he was hungry. He was hungry in his heart. His heart heard the message from Jesus. And it touched him. Like it touches all of us. There is something about the message of Jesus that we can't, we can't get away from. It touches us. So when Jesus called him, he was beyond excited and he immediately followed. Now what does Matthew do? Matthew threw a party. And he invited a whole lot of people. He invited Jesus and his disciples. But notably, watch this, he invited many other tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Now, I don't know why I missed this. Uh, It's in the New Living Translation. I have somehow read past this sentence, uh, and I just missed it, and I just caught it yesterday or the day before. In parentheses, it said, my Bible reads, there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. Did you catch that? There were many people from the other side of the tracks that were attracted to Jesus. It just says speaks volumes to me. He was appealing to the outcasts of society. It wasn't just Levi. There were many who had a heart for Jesus because of the way he spoke. He was respected by the people who never darkened the door of a synagogue. And I love that. Jesus was on mission and he was attractive to people. He didn't turn them away, but they turned to him. He was missional and intentional. 
Of course, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes are once again at their wit's end. And they don't have the courage to go to Jesus himself, but so they hit up his disciples and, and uh, they say to him, why does he eat with such scum? Now, what was this party about? We aren't really told. Maybe it's Levi's retirement party. <laughs> it might be. Maybe it was his call into ministry, celebrating that. And just maybe it was a party to introduce Jesus to all his friends. A safe place where Jesus could just come and mingle. When God touches our hearts, it changes everything. And Levi, whose name got changed to Matthew, his heart got radically transformed. And as a result, he had an immediate concern for his friends who as yet are not connected to Jesus. And he wanted them to find out the things that he had found out. But how do you even tell your friends? I mean, how do you even articulate something that's fairly new to you? What are the right words to use? He had never been to church. He'd never been part of a home group. And all he had was a great big heart for Jesus and a determined spirit. And he must have thought that perhaps the best way for him is just throw a party. He's used to doing that. And he would invite Jesus to come. And then Jesus could say it in his own words. And then, of course, his buddies, well, they love parties, so they, the more the merrier, and they would come. So he invited Jesus to the party, and I have no doubt that Matthew and Jesus had a little conversation prior. Matthew would have set it up. He said, I'll, I'll just get the party going here. And then you come, and then you talk to people, and then you plant lots of seeds because... I want my friends to hear what you've got to say. Tony Campolo, uh, former prophet, Eastern College, uh, Philadelphia, uh, wrote a book, uh, Kingdom of God, I believe it was called. Uh, he said on one occasion uh, when he was in another city, I think it was Honolulu, uh, he happened to drop in at a restaurant uh, in the early hours of the morning. He called it a greasy spoon. And he ordered a coffee and a donut. And he said, as I sat there munching on my donut and sipping my coffee at 3.30 in the morning, the door of the diner suddenly swung open, and to my discomfort, in marched eight or nine provocative and boisterous women who had been on the street. It was a small place, and they sat on either side of me, and their talk was loud and crude, and he said, I felt completely out of place, and was just about ready to make my getaway when I heard the woman beside me say, tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39. Her friend responded in a nasty tone, so what do you want from me? A birthday party? What do you want? You want me to get you a cake? Sing happy birthday? Come on, said the woman sitting next to me. Why do you have to be so mean? I was just telling you, that's all. Why do you have to put me down? I was just telling you it's my birthday. I don't want anything from you. I mean, why should you give me a birthday party? I've never had a birthday party in my whole life. Why should I have one now? Tony said, when I, uh, when I heard that, I made a decision. I sat and waited until the women had left. And then I called over the guy from behind the counter. And I asked him, do they come in here every night? And he said, yeah, they do. The one right next to me, does she come here every night? 
Yeah, he said, that's Agnes. She comes in here every night. Why? What do you want to know? Because I heard her say that tomorrow's her birthday, I told him. And what do you say that you and I do something about it? What, what do you think about throwing a party, a birthday party for her right here tomorrow? Well, a cute smile crossed his face and uh, he answered with measured delight. He said, that's great. I think that's a great idea. Look, I told him, if it's okay with you, I'll get, I'll get here uh, about 2.30. I'll decorate the place. I'll even get a birthday cake. No, 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 no. Don't, don't get a birthday cake. That's my thing. That's what I'll do. I'll get the birthday cake. So at 2.30 the next morning, I was back at the diner. I had picked up some crepe paper decorations at the store and made a sign out of uh, uh, big card, cardboard pieces that said, Happy Birthday, Agnes. I decorated the diner from one end to the other. I had that diner looking good. At 3.30 on the dot, the door of the diner swung open, and in came Agnes with all of her friends. I had everybody ready. After all, I was kind of the MC of the affair. And when they came in, we all screamed, Happy Birthday! Never have I seen a person so flabbergasted, so stunned, so shaken. Her mouth fell open. Her legs began to buckle under her a little bit. Her friend grabbed her arm to steady her. And as she was led to one of the stools along the counter, we all sang happy birthday to her. And as we came to the end of our singing with happy birthday, dear Agnes, happy birthday to you, her eyes filled up with tears. And then when the birthday cake with all the candles on it was carried out, she lost it and she just openly cried. Harry, the owner, gruffly mumbled, blow out the candles, Agnes. Come on, blow out the candles. If you don't blow out the candles, I'm going to have to blow out the candles. And after an endless few seconds, he did. Then he handed her a knife and told her, cut the cake, Agnes, you know. You cut the cake. We all want some cake. And Agnes looked down at the cake. And then without taking her eyes off of it, she slowly and softly said, look, Harry, uh, is it all right with you if I, I mean, I mean, is it okay if I, if I, uh, is it okay if, if, if I just wait for a little while? I mean, if we don't eat it right away. Harry shrugged and he answered, sure, it's okay if you want to keep the cake. I mean, keep the cake. Take it home if you want to. Can I, she asked. Then looking at me, she said, I just live down the street a couple of doors and I want to take the cake home, okay? I'll be right back, honest. So she got off the stool, picked up the cake, and as Tony says, carrying it like it was the Holy Grail, she walked slowly toward the door, and we all just stood there motionless as she left. When the door uh, closed, there was a stunned silence in the place. Nobody knew what to say. Not knowing what to do or say, he, he said, I broke the silence and saying, what do you say we pray? Looking back on it now, it seems more strange for a sociologist to be leading a prayer meeting with women from the street in a diner in Honolulu at 3.30 in the morning. But then it just felt like the right thing to do. And I prayed for Agnes. And I prayed for her salvation. And I prayed that her life would be changed and that God would be good to her. See, the mission of Jesus is to reach into every sector of life. What was his mission statement? I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Healthy people don't need a doctor. He said, sick people do. Well, you see, actually, the Pharisees 
We're just as needy as the public and, and sinners. And the answer to that is, yeah, absolutely. Jesus was saying, in effect, to people who think they're righteous, I have nothing to say. But to those who know that they have a need, I've come. Those who say, I have no need, I have no sin in me, they're, they're beyond our help. All we can do is wait. Sooner or later, life will go south and their dreams will collapse at their feet. And then they'll know their need. No doubt that's the reason why many are visited by great challenges in life. So that we can know that we can't make it alone. That we need Jesus to be at the very core of our lives. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, you see your heart this morning. You see your heart in your son, Jesus, who is just like you. May we all experience the welcome home of the father, the welcome of the prodigal son, the father who runs to his son, the father who puts a ring on his finger, The father who says, let's have a party. My son is home. My daughter is home. Let's celebrate because once he was dead, but now he's alive. Once he was lost, but now he's found. So, Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the lesson from Levi. I pray that uh, whatever you want to say to us today would lodge deeply within our hearts so that we might think about what our walk with you looks like and how you can meet each of our needs in, in a personal